or any of my kids. But when she, she came to me like two weeks ago and said, um, I have a song that I want to dance to that I choreographed for the talent show. And I was like, honey, the talent show is like in a year. But then I listened to the song and I was like, you're singing my song because that was kind of my song for a long time, you know? Because I don't remember a lot about my childhood, but some of the earliest memories are like that. I remember maybe one of my, one of my earliest memories. I remember that every night I would... Um, before I went to bed, I would, I would take a picture of my brother and my sister and I would kiss it. And then I would cry myself to bed until I fell asleep. Because I was alone. I felt alone. I personally don't want to talk to you guys about this tonight. I don't like talking about uh, what happened in my life. Probably like a lot of you guys don't like talking about what happened in your life. But I would rather talk about anything else. I mean, give me a Bible verse to talk about and I will talk your ear off and tell a lot of silly jokes. But if you tell me that I have to tell you about me and about me in my mind is like an abyss of pain, I'm not really excited about that. You know what I mean? So I'm going to do my best. I'm going to talk about this stuff. And I'll tell you something, I've prepared for this the least out of any time I've taught at this, at this church. Usually I, I, I think things through, I prepare, I get all these things lined up. But this one I kept putting off. And, and here's the thing, I put off the first part of this sermon till the end. I knew how I wanted to end it. I knew about the other part of the sermon, it's the second half of the sermon, but I didn't want to talk about the first half of the sermon. But I'm going to. But first I'm going to pray with you guys, and then um, we're going to talk about it in a second, okay? Uh, Lord... I only want to say the things that you need me to say. So help me to be wise in the things that I share with people tonight. Guide my words and guard my words. And help people to be receptive and understand from where I'm coming. In Jesus' name. So a warning. Um, I know Barbie did a little bit, but, you know, sometimes uh, we need to have some upfront information. Today I'm going to talk about some topics that aren't really usually kid-friendly topics. Okay, and I am going to go into a little bit of detail. I'm not going to like revel in these things, but I am going to talk about some topics that maybe you might not want your kids to watch. So if you're watching at home or I don't see any kids in here, so that's great. But I'm not trying to offend anybody, but sometimes the dirt and the mud that you came through is something that you got to talk about. Otherwise, I just say, I came here. You don't really know what that means. Do you? you know what I mean? So sometimes you have to add the backstory to understand uh, the glory. Yeah, I made a rhyme. Yeah. There you go. Um, so anyways, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit about where I came from. Um, my, uh, my mom got pregnant when she was 17 in high school uh, with my dad. And uh, he was also, I think he was 18 at the time. And uh, they quickly got married um, and then had another child. But as quickly as they got married and had another child, they also got a divorce. And... Um, like I said, I don't remember a lot. I don't know if I did that to myself or what, but um, I do remember that some of those first memories were memories of, um, of conflict, of custody battles, court cases, um, you know, uh, 
the Adrian Peterson thing is kind of a like a hit home thing for me because I remember going with the bailiff into a private room where they took photography or f photographs of me um, because of you know possible abuse. So these things for me were that's what my life was like, and I remember always feeling anxious. There was nothing I could depend on, so I would go back and forth between the different houses, and. Um, in custody here, custody there, and when they saw each other, they were yelling at each other, and other family members were yelling at each other. It was all conflict, and um, all I knew is that um, that I didn't want to be there. And so, I think from that early age, somewhere inside of me, I figured out how to disconnect and kind of like make everything distant from me. I still felt it, but somehow, I was just passing through. And I think that's kind of why my brain decided not to give me access to those memories, because I hear your brain remembers everything, and that's awesome for some people. For me, I'm happy to not remember a lot. Um, but I'm pretty sure that's what happened, and so I disconnected. And when I was, uh, when I was young, I didn't have any friends, ever. Um, uh, the only people that I hung around with was my little brother and his friends, and I was kind of like the, why is he here kind of guy, you know? And... Um, <laughs> Yeah, and um, when I was in school, I remember that I got kicked out all the time because I wasn't really interested. I would, I would just sit there, I would draw um, another early picture. I'm telling you these, these uh, early memories because I really only have a few, so you're gonna get like the whole story here, okay? Another early memory I can remember vividly is that the classroom, if you will, was over here in all the chairs. I must have been in like second grade or something, I don't know. And the teacher was teaching, but I wasn't over there. I was over there by the window. <laughs> I was at a table and I was reading an English book. And I don't know what they were teaching. I never learned um, times tables or presidents or capitals or countries or anything. I never learned anything. For years, I didn't do anything. I don't even know, you know, how that was possible for me to keep moved on, you know, grade-wise. But um, I'd get suspended all the time, and I even got expelled a couple of times. But I did learn um, about Fuzzy Wuzzy. And I do know that everybody screams for ice cream because all I read was the short stories and poems. I would just fast-forward in the book to the next part. And that's all I remember doing. I remember leaving school and immediately going home and trying to watch cartoons where I would draw them. And so all I did was draw. I don't know anything else about what was supposed to have when these, when my kids are going through class, they're like telling me all these things they're learning. I'm like, you learned that in elementary school? <laughs> when I was in college, I tried to learn Greek. Do you know how hard it is to try to learn Greek when English is Greek to you? <laughs> the teacher came up to me after the first semester when he generously gave me a D and said, Scott, I don't think you should come back next semester because I really don't know what they're talking about. Like, I feel like I've figured out a lot of stuff, you know, honestly, from video games and from reading books. But other than that, I don't know what these things are called. I figured out what adverbs was, I swear, like maybe six years ago. I didn't know what that was. And for a while, I was so depressed about not knowing these things that I started studying them. So I'm very like on task with the two, 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 and the there, 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 and all that kind of stuff. If you see me mess up on that, it's, it's autocorrect, because I'm pretty stringent about that. Um, I don't remember a lot of affection. I know there must have been affection, because I can't imagine a family or a dad or a mom that wouldn't give their kids hugs, but I don't remember it. 
And even to this day, I don't really hear that. And I don't mean that in a judgmental way. And I'm, I don't know if my parents are going to watch this video, but I really hope that if you do, that you understand I'm not trying to be judgmental because I personally was married in my 20s, and I don't know how I didn't make worse mistakes than you. So I am not trying to be judgmental. But what I am trying to say is I don't remember it. And I remember just kind of being on my own. And I remember that uh, my job was to get out of the house and come back at dinner time. And it, which is crazy because I lived in kind of the ghetto of Los Angeles. And um, we lived in like apartment complex, apartment complex, apartment complex. They all looked the same. We would like climb on the top of them and, and get into trouble and start fires and things like that. But it's pretty crazy that I was allowed to go out like that because my kids aren't allowed to walk up our cul-de-sac. <laughs> I'm like, I'm spying on them with drones and stuff. Um, you know, they, I joked that I wanted my children to be implanted with GPS before the NSA took my idea and made that a reality because I'm, I just, I don't understand that. I mean, we would disappear for hours and no one knew where we would go miles away on our bikes in a big city in Southern California. And, uh, there weren't any phones. There weren't any, you know, none of that kind of stuff existed. And when we got in trouble, we got in trouble. I mean, I remember getting picked up by a cop one time. I must have been like six years old. I got picked up on a, with, by a cop on the freeway on my bicycle because there was an on-ramp and an off-ramp like a quarter mile later or something. So we would go in circles, talk about stupid, but that's what we did. You know, I'm pretty sure someone probably dared me to because a good friend would have never said that, right? Um, both my parents did get remarried. Um, my dad is still married to the lady, so that's been a blessing for them. Um, my mom got remarried, however, to a guy who got married to her with a fake name, and he was a thief, and he was abusive and an alcoholic. So I remember when I would go and visit them that uh, me and my brother at the time would hide under the kitchen table while they were having arguments where he was abusing her. And so... I remember that, and I, and I look at that, and I'm just like, how did, I, how did I cope with that? I mean, I hear songs like the one we just played about lifting up the weak and so on. At that time, I didn't feel like that he did, but you know what's interesting about the Bible, and this is something that we sometimes get wrong, is that when he says he, he, he'll lift up the weak, it doesn't mean like right now. You know, sometimes promises don't have a time limit on them. And so we can become disillusioned when we think, why did I not get that lifted up? Like, for instance, I still have a headache. Uh, I've had a headache all day, and I knew I was. It's a little bit better, and I, I really appreciate everybody's prayers and the peppermint and the, the back rub. I appreciate that. And, um, but it still hurts. Now, did God say he would heal me? Yeah, he's going to heal me. Now, I don't know when that is going to be. But I can't be disappointed about that because didn't, it didn't match my timeline. But anyways, I spent a lot of years where I was weak and I wasn't lifted up. Um, I remember uh, times where my brother was, well, always, my brother Patrick was amazing. I mean, he would go to like state tournaments for running and things like that. I never found a lot of joy in running because I was like, you run in circles and don't get anywhere. Explain <laughs> that to me, I don't get it. But, um, and he, he was like straight A's. You know, you hear about, like, the second child, like, goes the opposite way. Well, he did. He excelled in everything. My dad sometimes would try to get me to do the same thing. So he, one time he enrolled me in a mile race. Um, and I didn't know even how to run, and I certainly wasn't interested in running. But I did anyways. I was like, yeah, cool. So I kind of, like, walk-jogged. 
Well, by the time I'm getting done with my third lap, the fast people are getting done with their fourth lap, right? So there's people out there like, are you done with four? Yes. Are you done with four? Yes. And they asked me, I was like, yes. That was my fastest mile ever. <laughs> but I didn't have a problem with lying or cheating or stealing. And in fact, stealing was like a normal thing for me because we didn't really, got, we didn't really have a lot. I mean, we lived at, at one point, we lived in a single wide, um, you know, in a trailer park. And then we lived in the apartment ghetto. And then... Um, you know, we were on government assistance and things like that uh, with my mom. And, and uh, so when I wanted something, the easiest way to get it was just to take it. It just became a normal way of doing things. So as a child, I, you know, got caught occasionally. But when I got caught, my dad wasn't really that upset about it. He would get mad, like, that's bad. But then that was it. It wasn't really like a, a punisher, you know. And, um, and, it, and it wasn't because... Uh, it wasn't for any other reason other than I just didn't know any better, you know? I didn't have any list of morals. We didn't go to church. Uh, my mom went to church, and occasionally I would visit. My mom swears that I got saved when I was five. Since I don't remember it, I don't count it. Um, you know, but, you know, I kind of remember what she's talking about, but I might also not, because there was all those years afterwards where it clearly didn't stick. And um, so anyways, I didn't have church, so I didn't have morals, and I didn't care. None of those things even mattered. I just kind of lived... And for a long time, I really, and Adam Sandler, I get where he's coming from. I don't know if he wrote the movie, that fast forward, that click movie, but I do know that I wished I had that power. When I was a kid, I remember wishing I could just fast forward. And, um, and I get it, you know, because in a way, I think a lot of times very funny people deal with serious hurts, and that's why it's kind of funny, you know, they're acting out on that. So I kind of, if he was the one that wrote it, I kind of get where he's coming from. Um, so anyways, I kept withdrawing, and I kept not participating in things, and I kept, like, separating myself from the world, and then something really negative happened in my life, um, and that was when I was introduced to porn. And um, so here, this is the part where you maybe don't want your kids to listen, but um, other than the whole abusive, you know, alcoholic stuff, never mind all that, that's nothing, right? But we're not allowed to talk about this topic sometimes. But I'm going to a little bit because my dad thought it was okay. My dad said his, his father um, bought him his first Playboy um, subscription when he was in his high school years and that he was willing to do so for us. Um, keep in mind, I was less than 10 years old. And, um, which isn't crazy because right now the average age for a guy is 12. Um, but anyways, you know, we found his stash and... It never does stay. You never do uh, with any kind of addiction. You never do kind of just stay with the level that you're at. You always got to go worse and worse and worse. You don't think of it as worse. You think of it as more or better. But when you look back on it, it's worse and worse and worse. And then we found his videos. I found his videos. And, um, and it just became kind of the way that life was. So for 20 years, that addiction had me. I mean, when you kind of think about it, I was a disconnected person with low income, grew up in the projects. I had no morals. I was into pornography. It kind of almost sounds like the bio of like a, like a really bad person, right? When you, when you go and listen to some of the people that are really um, like in jail for a lot of time, you hear the kinds of things that they went through. It sounds very similar to that. So really, that was the path that my life was on because I didn't care about people. I didn't know anybody, and I, I, I couldn't care less. People were kind of a blur to me. I mean, it stayed like this for a long time. I remember when I was in college, I would walk in the mall to, um, to my job, and people were kind of blurry. 
it took me a while to realize that I needed glasses. But for a long time, and it's, it's a joke, but for a long time, they were blurry and I never noticed because I didn't care about them. Because people didn't, I didn't care about people, people didn't care about me, and women were a commodity. Right? So there wasn't any need to really kind of see people three-dimensionally. Later on, I'll tell you, if I don't remember, I'll tell you that there was a moment, like maybe five or six years ago, where I got all excited and I talked to Ronnie about it. And I was like, Ronnie, I, you know, what's weird is for some reason people kind of look three-dimensional to me for the first time. Because there was a moment where all of a sudden, I swear, like a two-dimensional picture, all of a sudden, like, the background pushed back, and there was a real person there, and then they mattered. But that's later. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I want to stay and talk about all the negative stuff. Just kidding. I don't. But, and by the way, I owe you all 100 bucks for the therapy. It's count, you put, send me an email. I'll put it on my bad debt list. Um, so anyways... Um, Oh, I do want to make an aside here for just a second, and I know this is a little bit off topic, but I want to make a aside. Um, this last week I was listening to the news, and the person on the news was saying that they had put up a sign, a fundamentalist Christian group had put up a sign in Nashville. And the sign in Nashville basically said, um, you shall not, because I'm sure it was King James, fundamentalist, right? Thou shalt not lay with a man the same way you lay with a woman, signed God. First of all, I'm totally hesitant about signing, sign God, but never mind that. It's from Deuteronomy, and, and then when they were talking about it, they were talking about it like how much conflict it was causing. And my thought immediately was, we have one shot at talking to people, and you pick the fight with 3% of the population. Why, why would you do that? When you think about this topic that I'm talking about right now, we know that statistically, 50% of Christian men and 20% of Christian women are addicted to pornography. Real internet pornography, hardcore porn. That's not even counting the percentage of us that watch HBO and Cinemax and Stars. I tried to watch some of those shows, and I'll tell you, I'm super sensitive about this topic, so maybe I'm a little too sensitive, but I tried to watch some of those shows, and I'll tell you something. If you are not someone who has ever watched pornography, good for you and don't do it, but it looks exactly like pornography. And I'm not, I'm not like some stringent guy up here trying to like tell everybody how evil the world is. That's not it at all. I actually have you know, quite a lot of liberal leanings with some things. But with this topic, you guys need to understand that's bad. Yeah. It's yeah. messing us up. So when you add that percentage to the percentage of what we know, probably two-thirds of the people that say they're Christians are watching inappropriate things. And I can tell you the damage it does it actually rewires your brain. It commodifies women. When we see things like Ray Rice, terrible, right? I think I read something like 80% of scenes in a porno film involve physical aggression. So where are we getting these ideas that it's okay to treat women like this? I'm going to say that pornography is one of the great problems of this age. So if the Christian church is going to put up a sign, why don't we put up a sign about that? Or, barring that, why don't we put up a sign about the 99% problem? In America, 99.99% of us have a problem with consumerism, which is another way of saying covetousness. I want what they have. Why don't we put up a sign that says, be grateful for what you have? 
or be satisfied. That's a sign that might actually, the world might look at that and say, that's interesting. But if we pick a fight with a small minority group, three out of 100 people, the census says three out of 100 people are gay. Why is that our uh, speck in our brother's eye or non-brother's eye when we have this 50% of men in the church saying Christians have a log in their eye called pornography? By the way, and I'm not saying anything because I'm not being judgmental. You guys are here on Wednesday. Maybe that says you're a little bit more committed about it, but I'm, so I'm not trying to be judgmental. But 51% of pastors say that internet porn is a temptation. So it's not just us. It's not just them. It's everybody. We need to get rid of this. But that kind of stuff did continue through my 30s. If I could get a coin that said like a certain amount of years clean, I would get it but I can count it really easy because something happened when I came to this state. And it wasn't that I got away from sinful Hollywood. Um, when, you know, it's not just California. But when I came here, something changed because I felt this urgency that I was no longer okay for me to sit on the sidelines. And when that happened, all kinds of other dominoes started to fall. And one of the dominoes that fell was that from that time, 2006, till now, I haven't looked at pornography. And... I don't know how that happened. We heard about like Kurt saying he was just like, boom, I don't do drugs anymore and all this kind of stuff. Okay, maybe that was my moment, okay? Because I still got lots of other stuff that didn't get healed immediately. <laughs> I'm still kind of hoping about that. But, but you know what? If that's all I get, I'll take it. Because it also so happens to be when my oldest daughter turned seven and then my next daughter would have been like four and that would be an even worse situation, you know? Something you do on your own that you're never gonna get caught doing. Ask that about the women who've had their iClouds hacked. It's gonna come out. But something happened, a focal point of my life happened when my mom got custody of me when I was going to junior high school. When I went to junior high school, we moved up into the mountains. Um, she had got married a third time, and she is still married to him, and that has been a real blessing. She had two more children, um, and we kind of had like a big home. It was a crazy big home, but it was a home. Um, but the thing that made the biggest difference for me was my mom made me go to youth group in church. That was my first time going to church regularly pretty much my whole life because I'd never really stayed with my mom more than a little while at a time, and she did go to church um, for most of that time. So I would go to youth events, and over time, because I had already had this belief that I was saved, because I, at one point when I was five years old, so I, I don't even remember. Some of you were like, I've been, I've been saved since such and such day. I'm like, I don't know when I got saved. I feel pretty confident about it, you know, but I don't know when that happened, and I can't look back on it and say, I, you know, this is my such and such anniversary. But... Um, I just kind of fell into that. And after a while, I was really embracing that. I felt like that, that was something that made sense to me. And I started embracing it in an intellectual way, not in a personal way, because it wasn't still something where I wanted to talk to people or get to know people, and I mostly just used people um, for what I wanted. Because, you know, you continue with the way you think about women, and you're going to use people. In fact, for youth leaders in here, if you don't think, or let me say it a different way, if you think that just because a boy goes to church that they're safe, that's not true. Um, in fact, that's like the opposite of true. Because everyone goes to church 
mean everyone who has every kind of sin goes to church. And just because you go to church doesn't mean you're clean. You know what I mean? I made out with more girls on youth events. I had my missionary girlfriend every time I went on a missions trip. You know, and, and that just, I'm sorry, don't laugh at me. You're supposed to be like, that's my boy. No, I'm just kidding. But, but seriously, I mean, that's what would happen. And you know what would happen afterwards is I would make out with them and I would tell them, you know, how great they were and all this kind of stuff. And then afterwards, they would like write me a letter or, you know, like, so are we going out now? And I'd be like, no. And I can just remember this one girl. I remember this one girl. She sent her friend up to me and said, so are you guys going to go out now? And I was like, no. No, and I, kinda, and I looked at her, and she was heartbroken. And it still kind of kills me a little bit on the inside when I think about that. Like, what did I do to her? You know what I mean? Like, I gave her the wrong impression. We didn't, we didn't have sex or anything like that, so don't misunderstand. But, but, you know, I gave her the wrong impression. I, what I taught her was that that's what boys do to girls. They take what they want, and then later on, and I kid you not, later on in high school, she became kind of promiscuous. And always, even now, there's a little bit of guilt there about what kind of contribution I made towards that. So, anyways. See, I told you I didn't want to talk about this. Um, all right, so anyways. But then some stuff started to happen at church. At church. I started to um, feel a little bit different about this. I grasped the concepts really quickly. Um, I started to really have a hunger to figure things out. Uh, maybe I outpaced a little bit of what our youth leaders were capable of handling at that time. They were volunteers. And you know what? To this point, to this day, my favorite people from high school are my youth leaders. So if you're watching, I love you guys. And they were volunteers. No education about this kind of stuff other than they went to church. And they did their best to try to raise us up. And, but there was some stuff that I really wanted to know. And so I really did start to look into it. And I started to study. And that's where it really became something that was important to me. Um, and I remember one time going to a youth event, and I, um, and I remember that I had a vision. Um, and I, I was praying, and I had a vision, and I was, I thought, in the throne room of God. And um, I kept getting bigger, and bigger, and bigger, and bigger. And all the time, God kept getting bigger than me. Now, I've, over time, interpreted that in different ways. I'm currently on the phase where I interpret that to say, that I was getting too big for my britches and God's always bigger. But at a previous times, I've interpreted that different ways. But the point is, I, I was open to this kind of stuff, and I was kind of feeling things. And I remember going one time and, and praying for people, and I, I didn't know what I was praying, and the next thing I knew, I was speaking in tongues. And that was awesome. I was like, yes, I got this. Um, but then something happened. Um, when I was in college, we started to have what many people called a revival, like in Brownsville and in Toronto. And, uh, and it was a revival where there was a lot of um, physical things, like a lot of like, people falling down and shaking and laughing and things like that. And, I am, and you know what? If you are blessed by that, that's awesome. But I wanted that because the part I had about God was I had the knowledge part. I was, I was eating that up. But the part I didn't have was I didn't really feel God. I didn't have the presence of God, so to speak. And so um, when that uh, revival went on its world tour and the celebrity preachers came to Anaheim, California, I went there, I lined up and I went there. And when they started praying, I was praying too. I was like, man, I want that. You know, knock me down. So whatever, I really just wanted anything because anything would have meant 
that God acted and interacted with us. Because right now all I had was the Bible that said God used to interact with us. And so I was willing to accept anything. But when I was in youth one time, we had a summer retreat. And the guy, the speaker was like, we have something special for you on Friday. It was summer retreat. Something special for you. We're like, all right, what's going on? So I'm like praising God. I got my hands up. I'm even speaking in tongues, if I remember correctly. And um, he lines us all up and he starts like knocking us down. And um, gets to me and he's like, you know, I'm having this internal dialogue. I'm like, all right, if God knocks me down, that's awesome, right? But why is he knocking everybody down? And I'm like having these discussions in my brain. He gets up to me, he's like pushing on me, and I'm not falling down. He's like, don't put, don't fight it, brother, don't fight it. And I was just like, but I'm not fighting. I'm just standing here. You know, I didn't say that. But <laughs> then the guy behind me like grabbed me and just pulled me down. And here's the thing. The whole time I was laying on the ground, I was just like, why do you do that? I was no longer thinking about God. I wasn't worshiping God. I was thinking, is this guy fake? Is he just trying to do something to us? I mean, if this is fake, does that mean the other stuff is fake too? And so I went through this series of this time where I'm not really done with it. So please don't misunderstand. A lot of testimonies like, look what I did, now I'm done. No, I'm not done. I'm still kind of dealing with that because I don't want to be fake. That's why you heard me say, I don't like to say, signed God. Because even the Bible verse that was written through the power of the Holy Spirit is not always signed God to you. Because that Bible verse was written to someone else, we have it to understand what was going on at that time. But that doesn't mean that he meant it for you specifically, every Bible verse taken out of context. So anyways, I don't like that. So I started to become very strict if it wasn't in the Bible, I'm not going to do it. Now, I still am like that, so don't misunderstand. But I would challenge people. I remember one time I had an adjunct professor in college, and I was like, well, what about this? The Bible says blah, blah, blah. And he's like, Scott, you're a Pharisee. And I was like, what? Uh, I'm going to hit you, you know, whatever. Um, I cannot hit you because today is Friday, but tomorrow, no, I'm just, but he did, he called me a Pharisee, and you know what, I was mad. And I was like, maybe. And after a while, I was like, yeah, maybe. Because the Pharisees weren't defined by their strictness to Scripture. The reason they were bad was because they would take Scripture and they would make extra rules around them. And that's what I had done. I didn't want to break the rules, so I'd made rules around them, extra rules. Extra rules like, uh, you know, we'll find in a lot of our churches today. I don't need to go into detail. But anything that's not in the Bible that makes you a Pharisee. And if you only want to talk about one passage of the Bible, that makes you a Pharisee too. Like fundamentalists who put up a 3% sign. By the way, fundamentalists are 91% more likely to look at internet porn. Just saying. That's what happens when you make rules around rules and you get away from the core message of the gospel. It's not about all these extra rules because you have so much extra rules, you squeeze so tight that you either get crushed or you squirt out and start doing things you're not supposed to do. And that's what happens too much. But anyways, I started to have this period of time that I call, um, I made this term up, it's called the dark night of the soul. I'm just kidding, that's not, I didn't make it up. <laughs> I looked it up, but, um, but I did. I started to have this time where I don't really feel God's presence for a really long time. But then something happened, and, I, and this was something that I don't think it was intended like this. I think that the secular news jumped on this 
Like, this is such great evidence that there is no such thing as God, but it worked out exactly the opposite way for me when we found out that Mother Teresa had spent like 50 years not feeling the presence of God. But she had still done what she thought God wanted her to do. What an amazing testimony that is. But when I found out that Mother Teresa went through this for 50 years, C.S. Lewis went through it, Martin Luther went through it, and I went through it, I was like, man four giants of the faith. <laughs> Just kidding. But when I went through it, I was like, you know, if it can happen to these great people, it can certainly happen to us. So when the doubt and stuff came in, it does anything happen. I realized I don't have to throw out the, the baby and the bathwater. It's like, where do we even get that story? It's a terrible idea. Well, I don't have to throw out the leftovers. I don't know. Something, there's got to be something better we can throw out. But the point is, is that we don't have to do that. We can well, here, let me use this other analogy the Bible says. We can separate wheat from chaff, right? We don't have to throw out all the wheat just because the chaff is bad, but that's what a lot of times we do, and that's what I felt like I was doing for a long time. But what I've come to the conclusion is is that I hear from God differently than some people. So when I hear, um, I'm going to hear Barbie tell the stories about how she prays and she groans and she feels God's presence. And I hear other people, other people have shared their testimonies. Like, I heard from God. I think, it, was it Kurt? Did you say, I heard from God audibly one time? I think it was you. If it wasn't you, then I just said it was. Uh, but I think it was because I just listened to your podcast again. Um, but anyways, uh, and the podcasts are great, by the way. You can just look at them online, Spring House. I'm just kidding. Um, that's where you're supposed to put that in right there, but on the video. Um, I never heard God's voice audibly. And when I'm praying, I don't always hear it. I went to a revival at my church, uh, at my college, and, uh, and everyone was praying, and I was praising God, and everyone was having all kinds of experiences and stuff, and I was in the back crying. And I'm pretty sure people are like, wow, God's really being touched right now. But I wasn't being touched. I was in anguish because I saw everybody else looked like they were being touched by God, but I was not. And I was crying because I really, really just wanted to see God. I wanted to feel his presence. I've often thought to myself, you know, people are, people are like, oh, there's demons and stuff. I'm like, really? I want to see a demon. If a demon's real, everything's real. I'm like, that's maybe why I don't see the demon, <laughs> because he knows that, man. All you need to do is, is take away that doubt, that little bit of doubt that's always nagging there, and it's over with. You know what I mean? How do you live your life when you realize 100% it's real? I don't know, because I haven't got there yet. I know that sometimes I go through this, it's 100% real. Well, it's like 95% real. Well, it's 100% real. You know what I mean? That's just me. Probably just me. Nobody else here. Um, so anyways, I hear from God when I'm studying the Bible. And that's just the way, I don't know if that's because I'm wired that way or because I disconnected from the world from a young age, so I can only see things as an observational thing. I'm never 100% sure when God tells me to do something until usually afterwards when someone confirms it. Or maybe even never. But I've come to this conclusion. I've come to the conclusion that I would rather do the wrong thing for God than do nothing and miss out on something that God asked me to do. And so I'm okay with the idea that sometimes I'm going to make mistakes, like tonight. I really hope I didn't make a mistake by bringing up some of these topics. But I kind of felt like I was supposed to. So I'm hoping that that's true. Faith, hope, and love. I have hope and love for you guys. And faith, 
that God will accept my sacrifice, even if it wasn't exactly what he asked for. But I'm not always 100% sure. And I get really, really nervous when someone says they are. Because I have seen observationally that they're wrong. You know, God told me to do this. And I'm like, are you sure? And then a year later, when it didn't work out, I was like, I told you. No, I'm just kidding. I don't say that. I was like, see, that was the devil. Um, No, I'm just kidding. Anyways, so why do we share testimonies like this? And what's been really exciting for me, and I did go back and listen to some of the testimonies over again because partially I zone out sometimes, but also partially because it's good to hear them. You see, the Bible is like a big group of short story testimonies, right? Uh, When David told his story, David, David did exactly like King David did give or take. He's not a king, things like that. But he did, right? And when, uh, when uh, Brian said that he did exactly or very similar to what the prodigal did, he did. And what's cool about the Bible is that it's full of these testimonies of mankind and the, and the nature of man and, and, and God and the nature of God. And neither of those things change. Just the particulars change. And there are all these stories, their stories that we've been listening to the last two weeks, my stories, the stories from the Bible, they all tell the same thing. They all tell you that when God comes into the picture, things change. And what happened for me was when God came into the picture, things changed. It didn't happen right away. I mean, I started going to church when I was 12 or 13. I finally kicked, with God's help, pornography when I was 30. That's a long time to have God and sin Remember that next time that you want to be judgmental about someone who comes to church and is a sinner. Okay? Because the people that come in the door are supposed to be full of sin. That's their nature. And it takes a while for God to sanctify them. They may be justified immediately, meaning that their sins are forgiven, but that doesn't mean that people just stop sinning. It took me 17 more years to kick that habit. Right? It didn't help. I'm not trying to be judgmental, but it didn't help that my mom got Victoria's Secret catalogs or the swimsuit edition because it's almost the same thing as pornography anyways to a 13-year-old boy or 35-year-old man. But um, that didn't happen automatically. I didn't start to actually think about people as different individual people. Sorry, I didn't. And that's why I sometimes say things that are crazy because I'm not really used to talking to people because I didn't used to talk to people until I was like 30 years old or something, okay? Um, so give me a minute. I'm only like eight years old talking-wise, <laughs> right? I'm still working through that. But, I mean, that took a long time for me to actually care about you guys. I, went, I mean, for a long time, I thought I was going to be a pastor, right? And then Ronnie was like, well, Scott, are you called to be a pastor or not? And I was like, man, you know, I'm not sure I could care enough about the people at the church. Sorry. Yeah, I'm talking about you guys. Um, no, but seriously, sorry, I, I didn't think so. And honestly, I didn't think so. But things are changing, you know what I mean? Things change. And then when that person, when the first person became three-dimensional to me, I kid you not, it's such a crazy way to think about it, but they did. And when they did, something changed. And that took like 20 years after I started going to church. The point of these stories that we're sharing is is that when God comes into it, things change. 
I have a lot of hurt, and I'm so excited that I didn't cry for you guys because when I was writing it, every time I thought about it, I was crying. But I think it's because of all of like the Benadryl and stuff. Um, I think the tide, they're like, Dayquil doesn't allow it. The peppermint sealed it up. But, um, but the, when God came into it, things changed for me. The hurts and the struggles that I went through, just like everybody else, just like you guys are going through, those things can fade away. And here's what's interesting. When C.S. Lewis was writing his book, and his book was called A Grief Observed, um, is, is the story when he went through his dark night of the soul, uh, or night of the soul, um, he went through it after his wife died. And he was mad, and he was full of anguish, and, it, and he, took a, he kept a journal, which is awesome, because a guy like that keeping a journal is like, is, is, is pure diamonds for us. Um, and, and then he can see how he goes through it, and he starts to realize, and he said that a point was when he realized that God must have some redeeming purpose for it. And for me, that's kind of the picture for me. I see everything like a puzzle. Everything is, how does this go here? How does that go there? I'm, I'm a strategy guy, okay? That's why I always win at Catan. And um, <laughs> just kidding, it's true. If you play the same game, I will beat you. I'm like Maverick, I'll let you win for an hour. Um, but anyways, I'm a strategy guy. So when I look at it, I'm like, okay, look, there has to be a reason. And you know what the reason I see every time I'm teaching the kids and they come into the classroom, and again, I'm not trying to beat you guys up. When they come into the classroom and one of them is like, pr- they want prayer because mommy and daddy aren't living together anymore. It breaks my heart, and not in a mean way, not in a judgmental way towards you guys, okay? I don't know your situations, but it breaks my heart, and I can empathize with them and I can be there for them. And that goes the same for all of the people here that have had similar experiences. You've had someone beat on you? I get it. You've had someone beat up your mom or your, you know, someone else in your life? I get it. You've had a drunk, a thief, a liar in your family? I get it. These things have redeeming purposes. It enables me to speak to people that maybe someone else wouldn't be able to do. Because the one thing that I remember more than anything is that when I looked at all these sermons, I was like, man, this makes sense. The message of the last two months has been that you belong here. Look at the people that are here. This is not, man, I'm not trying to bash on fundamentalists, but I kind of always do. This is not a fundamentalist position to say, oh, you've been divorced. You can't be an elder or a teacher. What? Do you know how impoverished the world would be if we got rid of people who were called by God but who had sin? I mean, who would be left, right? Right? So you're a prodigal? Great, there's a place for you. You have addiction? There's a place for you. You had problems with the law? There's a place for you. You did drugs, you did pornography, you did all these things, there's a place for you. And that place is here because all these people that have been sharing their stories with us were here before those things were gone. And so if you're here and those things still exist, whatever they are, hurts, pains, addictions, problems, you're here because you belong here. And if you, if you aren't here and you're on television world, you belong in church, a healthy church. Not, don't, you know, just check the Bible. If it says King James only, then just go to a different one. Sorry. <clears throat> I apologize. I apologize. All right, that's kind of like a clue. Um, whatever. I don't mean to offend people. See what happens, Barbie? Eight years. That's all I've been doing, talking to people eight years. Just remember that, okay? Should have called this with apologies number two. Um... <laughs> But look, find a place because that's what the church is really about. Jesus never 
never, everyone that Jesus picked were sinners. Everyone that comes in the doors of a church the first time is a sinner. Everyone who's still sitting here is a sinner in some way. It's usually not out in the open. We usually don't see it, but it's still there. Look around at your neighbors. You're a sinner. Now, not positionally with Jesus because you're forgiven, but the fact is when you go home tonight or tomorrow, you're going to do something sinful. I'm not saying you should, and you definitely shouldn't glory in it. You should ask God for help with it. But bottom line is, is that who are we really to judge people? We should be welcoming these people, the people that are out there in the world hurting. That's why they make up their own religion about fake Jesus who just loves them. Wait, wait, that sounds a lot like the real one. Right? Remember this. Jesus was sending out his disciples to preach the gospel before he died. It's not just about heaven or hell. It's about the good news that God wants to have a relationship with us wherever we are. It's not supposed to be. You have to get your stuff together. So anyways, thank you. I appreciate that. I really do. All right, well, I know you guys are going to have a song, so let's have a song, and then I'll pray you guys out. <laughs> Look, I'm past time already. I apologize, but I could, I could keep going because I started to get off topic a little bit with the whole King James thing. So... Let's have a song. When we sing this song, I don't know what song this is, but when we sing this song, why don't you take an opportunity to ask yourself if you've been a little bit too judgmental? And if you have, ask for forgiveness. And then also, if you've got those sins that you still have had for a long time, the news that you should have got from tonight was is that there's hope. Actually, because of the nature of the teaching, if I can have a couple of the elders come forward. We're, if you need prayer tonight, you know what? We do have things that grab hold of us in our life. If you need prayer, it doesn't have to go on for 17 years. God has, a, I mean, it, it may. We don't know the journey, but if you need prayer and you need support, whether it's getting over something from your childhood, whether it's just dealing with things in your life, Come and let somebody pray for you. We're going we're gonna to worship, but avail yourself of prayer because prayer works. And, and, and God doesn't want you to have to fight. I really believe that the sanctifying work of God, it can be instantaneous. It may be over years, but whatever it is, you want to press into it. You want to push into that work that God has of working those things out in your life so you don't have to fight your whole life with those things. So, so Father, I thank you. I thank you. Thank you for awakening things in our life. I thank you for Scott's message. I thank you, Father, that it shows us, Father, that every day is a journey toward you. Now, Father, if there's anyone in this room, Father, who just needs you to touch them, who just needs your strength tonight, Father, we lean into you. So I ask, Father, those hearts that might have been awakened tonight, those that have gone, I know that story. Father, I pray that they would come, and Lord, that somebody could agree with them, Father, that they might move toward freedom. In Jesus' name, amen.
said it. The reason it took 17 years is because I didn't want to change. So I'm going to pray for you guys. And I'm going to pray that you do give yourself to God. Accept his correction and his change. And if you're not yet there, I'm going to pray that you guys get there. So Lord, I pray for my people here today, my friends, these three-dimensional humans who I actually know and pay attention to only because you helped me out of that disconnection. You reconnected me. I pray, Lord, for them as they deal with whatever it is that they're dealing with. I pray that, number one, you would make them want you and want to give up that sin. And second, I would pray that if they are asking for help, Lord, that you would supply that help and you would help them to change. Help them change this week. Help them find accountability partners with whatever that is. Help people to be available and not afraid to talk about the things that are really happening. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.